and a message that I've entitled Restoring the Fallen. And I want to give you a little bit of a preface to this. Nowhere in all of Scripture does the Bible teach or does it even intimate that there's forgiveness apart from repentance. And, and so there is a focal point that's left out of this particular passage that is assumed because we have to ask for our sins to be forgiven in order for them to be forgiven. And so in no way, shape, or form is the Apostle Paul actually saying, well, this is some kind of, you know, just tertiary glance at sin that we should just pass a hand over it and pretend like it didn't happen. But the simple fact of the matter is that there's not a single person in this room who is not today still a sinner that is saved by grace. Amen? We're still subject to our flesh. And so it should not surprise us after the Apostle Paul has spent five chapters talking about the dangers of legalism and how the only answer to any sinful behavior in our lives is for us to walk in the spirit so we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a reason that this topic is in this chapter because every person in this room whether it's today, tomorrow, next week, next month, maybe next year, if you're really, really, really serious about living a sinless life, every person here is eventually going to need to be restored. Maybe in a little way, maybe in a major way. We all stumble. Matter of fact, James says, if you don't, you're not even human. We as children of God are also still subject to that flesh. So in that sense, we should be able to see chapter six, the first six verses coming from a long ways off because I need to be forgiven sometimes. I need to be restored sometimes. I need someone to pick up my burdens and help me carry them sometimes. We all do. And so an incredible passage that you should have highly marked up and underlined in your Bible because it gives instruction on what we're supposed to do when someone doesn't meet the standards that God's word says we should have. When we fall short, when we end up missing the mark, and most importantly, as this passage will teach us, when we fall prey to the traps of the enemy when we stumble and fall. And so this morning, restoring the fallen, would you join me? We'll pray and we'll pick up here in verse one, verses one through six. Father, thank you as we just sang for your mercy. Lord, did in none of our lives will we ever receive what we have earned. Lord, that your grace, your unmerited favor assures us that, God, when we do stumble and fall, that you're not going to hold that against us forever. And, Lord, we pray that as we live this life called the Christian life, 
and that you'd help us to be gentle and kind. Lord, that we would be looking to restore those who've fallen, those who are broken, those who today came in through these doors hurting, desperate for a touch from you. God, speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Galatians chapter 6, which obviously looks back towards verse 26 of chapter 5. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another. We all have issues. If I want to find somebody who's worse than me, that's not hard to do. The question is, am I comparing myself to Jesus or just simply other people? When I compare myself to Jesus... I fall a whole bunch short of that. Amen? In that light. Brethren, if a man, someone who's part of humanity, it's not saying a man as in male, and it's not talking about just simply any person that is, you might be able to name, it's really talking about all of us. If a man, if some human being And in this case, because the context is the church, it's very clear, a Christian man or a Christian woman, someone who's part of the body of Christ, if there's someone you know has fallen, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, I'm just going to avoid saying underline certain parts, just underline this whole passage and start marking it up because one day you're going to need it. You might say, if I ever am overtaken in any trespass. If my son is overtaken in a trespass. If my wife is overtaken in a trespass. If one of my fellow pastors on staff is overtaken in a trespass. Something that doesn't meet God's holy standard. Something that falls short of what we know to be God's character and nature if a man is overtaken in any trespass. Doesn't talk about severity. Doesn't say if it's a really big deal. If it's in the top ten lists of sin. It says any single thing that doesn't match the holy standard that God has set forth in his word. You who are spiritual, and here's where it gets problematic. That ought to be all of us. We're supposed to walk in the Spirit so that we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is an assumption that he should be able to say this about anybody who names the name of Jesus. You who are spiritual, people who are spiritually minded, who know the truths of God's word, who ourselves are recipients of grace, people who know the Lord and the majesty of his mercy, you who are spiritual, make sure you post your brother's sins on Facebook, Instagram, the LA Times, and oh, by the way, gossip about them until they have no character left. This isn't what it says, does it? You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of the Lord's gentleness because the same gentleness that's here is the gentleness of the spirit. 
meekness. Acknowledging the worth of the other person. Looking at their life and say, but for the grace of God go I. The gentleness of Jesus restores such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself. You know why Jesus instructed the church with the issue of not judging? And he said, if you're going to judge, you might want to check and see if you have a log in your own eye first. Do you know why he said that? Because a pretty good chunk of the time, we've all got logs in our eyes. There's something in our lives. There's something that we could say about ourselves if I consider myself first instead of, instead of considering your sin first, if I look at my own life and then I look at your life, you know what happens? I become all gracious and merciful because I look at my own life and say, you know what, I got issues. If I consider myself first, I'm going to be very gracious and loving and kind and gentle with you because here's why. I'm going to need it. If I'm honest and truthful with myself, then I want to treat you the way I would want to be treated. And you know what? Your pastor's not perfect. Every once in a while, somebody will say something that just sticks in my craw. And it's like, hmm, that's not Jesus coming out right now. That's Jeff. Got some of the same letters, not the same guy. <laughs> and I think you all can relate to that, can't you? The Bible says there's none righteous, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I'm not as short as I used to be of the glory of God. I was really short. And I would like to think that I'm maybe a little bit closer, but I'm still short. I still have issues. And so do you. That's the context of what's being said here. Consider yourself, why? Lest you also be tempted. That's why Jesus said, do not judge your brother. For if you judge your brother, beware. Because the same manner in which you judge your brother you yourself will also be judged. So you might want to be kind. You might want to be gentle. You might want to consider all of your own faults and weaknesses before you start pointing your finger. Why am I saying this this way? Because we need the truth about ourselves before we will ever be able to have the truth about anybody else. We have to start in the right place. You see, when I see other people through my own brokenness, I am really kind. Because I, I would like someone to see my brokenness, those little areas of my life where there's just remnants of hurt, pain of the past, whatever it is for you or whatever it is for me, those things that are still open wounds in many of our lives. 
And I surely wouldn't want you to judge me as being weak before him, but recognize I've got a burden that God's called me to care, carry, and I would hope that you would come alongside and help lift that, not put another rock in my backpack. And I, I'm personalizing it so that you can. So that you can look at this personally, not from a position of superiority, but inferiority. Because compared to the king, we're all inferior, amen? That's the standard. When I leave Christ the standard, then I'm somewhere way underneath that, amen? And that's not to diminish our value, that's to simply say, I still need God's grace. I still need his mercy. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. You know, when I look at my own work, yours don't look so bad. Amen? Be honest, brothers and sisters. Look at your own house first. Look at your own thought life first. Look at your own sinfulness first. Look at the things that you secretly still deal with and ask yourself how much of a big step would it be for you to jump outside of thinking about it to doing it. When you look at your brother that way, you get really gracious. You get really kind. You get very understanding. You see, when I see you the way I see myself, I'm going to be kind to you. Because I need kindness. But if you think yourself to be something, when he, she, we are, what does it say? Nothing. Apart from him, I can do nothing. In me dwells no good. It doesn't mean I'm all bad. It means internally I'm still a sinner desperately in need of the grace of God. In that sense, apart from Christ, I am nothing. You take Christ out of Jeff, you got a pile of Jeff, and that's not good. Amen? We should all recognize that. It is Christ in me that is my hope of glory. It is not Jeff plus Christ. It's all Jesus, and he redeems Jeff. He takes my wickedness and sin, and by his own blood cleanses me from my unrighteousness. He is the one who has written my name in the Lamb's book of life. I did not inscribe my own name. If he didn't write it, it's not going in. If you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. But let each examine his own work. For purpose of reiteration, the Holy Spirit says, why don't you check out your own junk? Why don't you look at your own mess? Isn't it funny? I don't know if you ever do this. You drive down the street, you go, I wonder why their yard looks so junky. You know what my point of reference is? My yard. The only problem is, I don't actually look at all my yard, only part of my yard, the part that's beautiful. So when I look at my own yard first, well, you know what, that flower bed over there is full of weeds. I'm not going out there to pull those weeds because 
they're just going to grow back. You understand what I'm saying? You see, when I look at my own yard first, I'm a whole lot less critical of other people's yards. And in a spiritual sense, that's how you need to look at your own life. When you look at the weeds in your own life, you can understand why there might be weeds in somebody else's life. Let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. In other words, my point of comparison becomes the king and not someone else's deficiencies. Someone else's failures and faults and weaknesses. Verse 5, for each one shall shall bear his own load. Look, when I look at my life, there's enough weight to carry. I have burdens that God's called me to to carry. Sometimes those burdens are heavy. Sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes I was like, Lord, couldn't it just be a little lighter? But for whatever reason, he's allowed those things in my life. I have things I have been asked by God to carry. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Look, let's face it. Romans 7 declares to you, declares to me, just as it declared through the Apostle Paul, those things that I will to do, those things I don't do. I even know to do right and sometimes don't do it. I I can look at my own life. I don't have to look very far to find fault because it can start with me. Now, praise God, it's nothing like it used to be. But nonetheless, I I don't find perfection. That's why Paul said, I find that this war goes on within me. Those things which I will to do, I do not do. The very good that I'm supposed to do, I'm not doing that. Not in its completeness. Not in its fullness. Not in its perfection. In other words, I'm not perfect in the implementation of the very things that I know I'm supposed to do because God's word says it very clearly. Look back through some of those things that we just studied. Is there any anger in you? Is there any bitterness? Are there past hurts that you haven't processed properly and they come up every once in a while in kind of a snippy attitude? Anybody ever? No, don't raise your hand. Family, those things are sin. They're sin. Let's call it what it is. They're sin. So we look at things in other people's life and go, well, that's, I mean, that's an 8.75. Mine's only a one. And of course, you're the one that sets whether yours is a one or an 8.75 too, right? Because God doesn't do that. So we all have sin question is what are you going to do when someone sins what are you going to do when someone sins against you all sin sin against the lord let's look at what sin does first foremost when i sin i lose my confidence in who i am in christ when i'm doing the things i'm not supposed to do and i know it the first thing that happens is I lose my assurance of who I am in Christ. I lose the joy, I lose the peace. 
I wander around. I've even had people say, oh, I don't know if I'm even saved. And they will say, because I, I keep doing these things. Sin will always defeat the work of the Spirit in your life. Because sin always destroys. A second thing. If you want to become unuseful to the king, sin. If you want to blow your witness and make it so God is hesitant to use you, then sin. And yet sometimes we become unuseful to the Lord. You know, I've had the the pleasure of teaching at the Bible college. And I can't tell you how many very arrogant, prideful young men that have come to me, well, I don't know why God won't make me a pastor. It's like, well, it's because no one would want to listen to you. (laughs) There's an air of pride. There's an air of arrogance about you. Yeah, but I know my Bible. Yeah, but you would beat them to death with it. There has to be a mixture of truth and love, amen? So some people's sin is they're just unloving. They're unkind. I meet a lot of ungrateful people. Ungratefulness, family, hear me, is sin. Unthankfulness is sin. Lack of compassion is sin. A lack of gentleness is sin. See, there's a lot of things that we just kind of skip over because they're the sins of the, they're the good sins. Mm, We need to see it the way God sees it. God wants us to be, in a sense, practically sinless. The problem is we don't ever quite get there. So we all end up needing this passage at some point in time to be applied to our lives in the way that it's spoken. A third thing that affects my relationship with God. Am I really going to join, as Paul said, writing the church at Corinth, the Lord to a harlot? Now that's an extreme example, but am I going to join the Lord to a bitter, angry person? Am I going to join the Lord to a hateful thing? Am I going to join the Lord to envy? And strife? You see, when you start to see this passage from its broader application, guess what? We all fall short. Now, some of you aren't struggling with most of these things, but you're struggling with something when it comes to God's holiness. Amen? How about just a practical application? Were you as loving as you should be? If the fruit of the Spirit is love and we're unloving, that means you're falling short. Amen? A fourth thing. It affects other people, doesn't it? My sin affects other people. It can affect my wife. It can affect my children. It could affect all of you. You see, sin's a serious thing. And so the church should become a place where we see the functioning of our sinfulness in a 
less great way day by day. In other words, I I should be able to say about us, we're sinning less and less. But whether we're going to become perfectly sinless anytime soon, probably not. So what do we do? A judgment should begin in my house. The house of the Lord in my own life. And I'm going to give you a passage of scripture and I really strongly encourage you to read it later. It is the classic, it's the words of Jesus and there are four steps there in Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 to 17 and I want to just highlight these things very quickly for the purpose of making sure that you understand that no sin should ever be dealt with beyond what this says. If you have not done these four things, then zip it. If you haven't taken the time to do exactly what Jesus said in exactly the way Jesus said it, then you have no right to speak in someone else's life. Pretty rough, isn't it? Why am I saying that? Because I've watched over and over and over and over again people giving me excuses for why they will not do specifically step one. Well, I don't want to talk to them. You know what? There's no caveat in there that says you don't have to talk to somebody because you don't want to talk to them. It says very clearly, if your brother sins against you, you go to them by yourself. If you have not gone to someone and they have sinned against you, it's affected you, and you have not spoken to them, you should not speak to anyone else about it at all, ever. You have an obligation, if you love that person, to go to that person, look them right in the eye, and say, this is the fault. If you can't do it, don't say anything else. The second step is if you've done that, you've gone to them because you want to be restored, you want the relationship, that's the context of Matthew 18 and this passage. Then the second step is you take someone who's not been affected by your gossip or your belief about what that person said or did, you take someone who's neutral, someone who doesn't know the situation. The reason we know that is the whole purpose for it. It's to establish the facts It's not for you to pre-prejudice them with the things that you think are true. It is for you to take someone who doesn't know the situation and establish what actually happened. Anybody ever misjudge the situation in your life? And after hearing the whole story, you got the complete view of it. You went, "Mm, you know, I kind of missed a little bit of that. That's the reason for step two, words of Jesus. Step three, if that doesn't work, then you grab an elder in the church, maybe a pastor, someone who is a spiritual leader in the church, and you go to them with that brother and say, can we go talk to somebody who might be able to hear from the Lord on this? Because we're both kind of vested in it. And so let's go talk to someone who doesn't know a thing about the situation, but knows you and knows me, someone who's a spiritual leader. And the final step is if they won't go that way, then you may have to turn them over for the destruction of their flesh, the very thing that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, so that their flesh can be dealt with so they can come to their senses, so you can go back to step one. Or step two or step three. But church, 
if you won't do this, there's no place else to go initially. Because if it's about fault finding, all we're going to do is go around finding fault. You have to be so concerned with gaining your brother or gaining your sister that you can't sleep until you at least go to them and say, man, you hurt me. You did this, and it affected my walk with the Lord. I'm not blaming you for it, but I don't understand. And I so desperately want to be restored in relationship to you that you cannot help but go to them personally. It is from this place that we move to what Paul says. Because this is how Paul understood the forgiveness of sin. These are the words of Jesus. There's three additional steps that we'll add to it. We can do so very quickly. The first thing that we have to do, it's found there in verse 1, is we have to pick that person back up. So very often when we deal with fallen people, it's almost as if we want to make sure that the trap stays on their leg. The word that's used for trespass, this incredible picture, if you will, prolambanu, is a word that means someone caught in a trap. I don't know how many of you have ever messed with iron traps. They are vicious, mean, and horrific. And once you're caught in them, you are not getting out by yourself. It's an impossibility. They have to be stood on on the side of the trap so that the jaws will fall open. And if somebody else doesn't do it, that leg is not coming out. So we're supposed to be trap breakers. We, when we think about someone else's situation, are supposed to be so concerned with their lives that we want to help them get out of that trap of sin. Because here's what happens. Most people don't sit around just going, you know, I want to just sin with impunity if they know the Lord. Very often, they are caught. Yes, the sin is visible. Yes, they knew it was there. But nonetheless, they stood too close to the danger and now they are snared in it. Here's the problem. Unless we take the attitude of the Lord, then we just go, you deserve to be caught in that. It's no wonder to me you got caught in that trap. I told you about the trap. I warned you about the trap. You, you just sit over, your, your leg will fall off eventually. You'll be okay. You, you see, we're not going over and actively seeking to spring that trap and get them out of the trap. We're just waiting to see if they die in the trap. Be careful. Because you got traps. There are traps set for you. And your leg may be the next leg. Example? The adulterous woman. And this is perhaps the classic in all of Scripture. It's found there in John 8. Jesus didn't say to the woman, What in the world is wrong with you? 
Are you dumb? You didn't see the trap? We don't know a thing about her history, but I know a little bit about the history of the time. There were no social services. Nobody cared about her. And the men that were using her were doing exactly that. They were using her. They were taking from her what they wanted. You see, we let the men off the hook and we condemn the woman without saying that poor woman was caught in a trap. She had her leg in a snare. We're not even told how she might get out of it. What was she going to do? She couldn't own property. She would have had to beg the rest of her life. And she was doing the only thing she knew to do, as wrong as it was. And so what does Jesus say? Let me step on the trap and open it up and let you out. And oh, by the way, don't go near the trap anymore. That's how Jesus dealt with it. He picked that woman up literally and looked into her face and said, woman, where are your accusers? I don't accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus picked her up. That's what we're supposed to do. Once you've done that, a second step. Because you know what? Walking in this world is tough. We need to hold that person up. You see, because if I don't do something to lift lift that woman's burdens, her burden was she had no way to take care of herself. If I don't do something to take care of her, then how prone is she to go right back to the same trap? You see, we miss these things sometimes because we look at ourselves and say, well, I'm not tempted in that way. Or that's not a reality in my life, so I don't even know how she would get to that place. I mean, after all, I mean, and we become judge, jury, and executioner when what we really need to do is the person that comes alongside and says, let me help you stay out of that trap. Let me not just lift you up, but let me hold you up for a while while you're going through this difficult time. Because life affords many of us burdens that are too heavy, doesn't it? You walk around in this life, it doesn't take you very long to figure out there are things you can't carry. One of the things that just afflicts my soul is broken people. There are times when I drive down the street and I can barely control myself. It's like I don't even know what to do. In that sense, I I have a very, very deep sense of other people's hurts. And there are times when it's overwhelming. When you think about other people, you need to realize you don't know what they're going through. You have no idea what they deal with on a daily basis. You don't know where they came from. You haven't been called to figure all that out. You've been called to lift them up and hold them up if they're fallen. Lift them up, hold them up. It doesn't say figure it all out. 
I don't know why I feel the way I do. I can't tell you. Probably goes back deeply into my childhood. Probably goes back to my parents. They're, they're divorced. I, I, if I were to sit down and have some psychiatrist dig through all of my files, they're, they're probably going to find some things. And go, oh, That's probably where that came from. But you know what? That doesn't matter when I'm in the middle of talking to somebody and an area of brokenness comes up. I'm like, no. And so sometimes I react to that rather than listening to the rest of the story. See, now I'm showing you the negative side of that. We would all say, well, deep compassion's a good thing, amen? But sometimes deep compassion blinds me. Sometimes I get so caught up in the emotion that I don't actually listen to the rest of the stuff. I'm supposed to hold people up. So sometimes I need someone else to listen in on that situation and get all the facts because I just get hung up on the emotions. I need someone to come alongside and say, did I hear that correctly? And here's the reason why I say that. None of us are all that. There isn't a person in here who's going to stand up to the utmost scrutiny in every part of your life. I need help. And so do you. So the natural outpouring of that is if I need it, I should also want to give it. Amen? Amen. I should want to be to others what I myself need. That's not hard for us to understand. To understand, Do unto others, therefore, as you would have them do unto you. It's what we call the golden commandment. The golden rule. That's what's in view when you're dealing with broken people. Treat them the way you would want to be treated if you were in their situation. Think about them. Stop thinking about you and think about them. Now remember, this is a person who sinned. It's hard to do that, isn't it? You look at that situation and you feel it empathetically or sympathetically. The problem is sometimes we feel it apathetically, don't we? We stop feeling. We can't put ourselves in their position. We need to. Because sometimes, not only do I need to be picked up, I need to be held up. And the last step, and we'll close with this. Don't forget, once you've done all that, they need to be built up. See, it's one thing to spring the trap to be a trap breaker. It's another thing to help them once they've gotten out of the trap. It's another thing to pull them in. It's another thing to bring them into fellowship. It's another thing to say, look, let's do this thing together. Let's be family in this. It's hard when someone is sinned against you to give them a place of trust. And by the way, scripture doesn't say, nor am I saying, just be blind about it. But it also can't be conditioned. You don't have to put yourself in harm's way, but you have to be open to the fact that we have an obligation to try and bring people back into fellowship. Why? Because you may be the one on the outside of fellowship someday. You you might be the one who stumbles and falls and you may need to be picked up. You may need to be held up. You may need to be built up. 
And if you don't see other people through those eyes, then you may find yourself on the outside looking in as well. That's not a pleasant place. Many a believer has been picked off by the enemy, not because of the sin that so easily besets them, because the body of Christ would refuse to restore that person. They've ended up in places that are horrific and terrible. Their sin is their sin, to be sure. But we have a responsibility when someone falls to be the ones that lift them up. Confront the sin? Absolutely. Deal with the sin? Categorically. Name the sin by its name. Deal with the sinful issues without contest. But when we've done that, and that person is repentant, then the things that we need to do are the four steps that Jesus mentioned. Go to them alone. If they don't hear you, take somebody who doesn't already know the story. If that's happened and they're failing to yield, take it to the church. Let them be dealt with by the enemy for a period of time, if necessary. But once that's happened, our job is to lift them up hold them up, and then build them up. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray together. And I I pray that no one in here is condemned in any way, shape, or form. We can all stand adjustment in this area. It'll transform your marriage. It'll transform your parenting skills. Remember, your children are also brothers and sisters in the Lord. They know the Lord already. They're actually your brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're your little brothers and sisters, but they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Your kids are going to fall. Your kids are going to stumble. Your husband and your wife is going to stumble. They're going to fall. There's going to be things that this will apply to. People at work that you know that love the Lord, they're going to stumble and fall. What are you going to do? The first step is an unspoken step today, and that is none of this works unless you first know the king. This is a foreign language to someone who does not know the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now, if you would, please. And I I just want to make an offer to anyone that's here. You've heard this message, and you're saying to yourself, man, I am so messed up. I don't even know where to start. Let me tell you where to start. If you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. The first step is coming to know the King. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you're struggling with anger and bitterness and hate, you're living a life that you you don't even like and you want it to change, I'm telling you the first step is coming to know Jesus. And if that's you today, and you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to simply ask you to raise your hand right where you're at, and I want to pray with you. We're going to pray together a prayer, and you can invite Christ into your life, and then you can begin this whole process of being restored. So if that's you, just slip your hand up in the air. I want to pray with you wherever you are in the sanctuary. Anyone at all? See this hand? See that hand in the back? This one in the front, this other one in the middle? 
anyone else. Jesus wants to set you free, but you've got to give him permission to do it. He won't force you, but he will love you into it. And so if that's you, just slip your hand up. I see that hand. I see both these hands to my left. This other hand in the back, praise God. He just wants to love you. See that hand over to my right. See this other hand to my right. Anyone else, just put your hand up. We're just going to pray together. It's a simple thing, but it's the most important thing you'll ever do. Come to know Jesus personally. Let him start that work in you. And he is faithful to complete. I see that other hand in the back. For those of you that raised your hands, this is the part that you have to do for yourself. I can help you with the words, but they've got to come from your heart. And so simply pray them. Speak to God. He's listening, and he wants to hear from you. So if you just repeat these words after me and then mean them from your heart, it's all that's necessary. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner, and I'm tired of my sin. Lord, I'm asking you to forgive my sin and to cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Lord, I'm tired of the burdens that I carry and the weight that's pressing me down. And I'm asking you to take it. I believe you died on Calvary's cross for me personally. And that by believing in your name, I'll be saved. Would you... Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, I'm giving you free reign. Do with my life as you please. Help me to live every moment for you. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness I now have. Pray that you would help me to be an example to others. Bless me as I begin my journey with you. Help me to be restored, Lord. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.